It's always the best part of the service is watching our children dismissed for Children's Church. Um, We started our confession of faith this morning with a question. Christian, what do you believe? And uh, you may have been so focused on reading the screen and responding correctly that that just kind of uh, washed over you, didn't think much of it. But it's really an important question to be able to answer. Uh, Christian, what do you believe? Um, And, you know, whether you've never missed a Sunday at church or this is your first Sunday ever in church, um, wherever you find yourself, uh, understanding the core beliefs of what you believe of the Bible is crucial for your relationship with Jesus. And so we're starting a series this morning looking at the Apostles' Creed. Um, And as we start this series, um, two things that I want to note that the Apostles' Creed is not. I don't know if it's good to start with a negative, but I'm going to. Um, Two things the Apostles' Creed is not as we think about this series. First, the Apostles' Creed is not Scripture. It's not Scripture. It's a creed or a summary of essential truths that are foundational uh, to understanding the true story of Scripture. Um, It was used in some form starting in the 200s after Christ, took on its final form in the 500s. Um, It's not Scripture, but it is an accurate summary of essential beliefs of Christianity that's been confessed by Christians throughout the ages. Um, J.I. Packer in his book on the Apostles' Creed talks about it as sort of an essential roadmap to the faith. That it's not uh, a roadmap maps out something that is real, the, the world, right? And the creed sort of functions as an essential roadmap to Christianity. So it's not scripture. It's a summary of the essential truths that are found in scripture. That's the first thing. Secondly, the Apostles' Creed was not written by the apostles. Uh, it was uh, said to summarize the teaching of the apostles. It was not written by them, but it summarizes their teaching in the scriptures. So just two things to sort of keep in mind as we start the series. Uh, quick aside also on the front end, that if you're a reader, I highly recommend this book. Uh, it's called Rooted. Uh, it's on the Apostles' Creed. It's written by two other PCA pastors, Ray Kanata and Josh Ritano, and their work and their words on this has absolutely shaped uh, my thoughts in this series. So I recommend that if you're looking for something to follow along with. Um, all right, so why spend our time uh, looking at the creed? Um, because whether we realize it or not, we all live by creeds. Okay, thinking about Christians and the Apostles' Creed, um, many, many Christians since the earliest centuries of Christianity, across lines of denominations, uh, across different countries and languages and cultures and ethnicities, have been united in their confession of the Apostles' Creed. The Creed unites God's people in confessing the fundamentals, the agreed-upon fundamentals of the faith. Um, but even outside of the faith, for those of us who don't believe, maybe, maybe you hear, you think, like, who believes in a creed? This is crazy, right? I'm an individual. I can think for myself. I don't need a creed. Um, it seems outdated. It lacks individuality. Um, the reality, though, is that we all live by a creed. We all live by a creed. Um, to this point, uh, the authors of Rooted, they quote this music journalist named Steve Turner who wrote what he called the creed of creedlessness. And this was just sort of to make this point that, hey, if you think you're an individual that has no creed, that you just does what you want to do, that's actually a creed in and of itself. So he wrote this sort of spoof creed, the creed of creedlessness, which I'll read for you. It says this, he says, we believe in Marx, Freud, and Darwin. We believe everything is okay, as long as you don't hurt anyone, to the best of your definition of hurt, and to the best of your knowledge. 
We believe everything's getting better despite evidence to the contrary. The evidence must be investigated. You can prove anything with evidence. We believe that all religions are basically the same. They all believe in love and goodness. They only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. We believe that man is essentially good. It's only his behavior that lets him down. This is a fault of society. Society is a fault of conditions. Conditions are the fault of society. We believe that each man must find the truth that is right for him. We believe there is no absolute truth, except the truth that there is no absolute truth. We believe in the rejection of creeds and the flowering of individual thought. The creed of creedlessness. Uh, the point is that we all live by a creed, even those who reject the very idea of a creed. And so we want to spend some time as a church thinking about this creed, the Apostles' Creed of those who've come before us and it's been confessed throughout the ages. Um, we'll jump into our text in just a minute, I promise. But a few examples of how a creed functions for us. Um, you don't see this as much anymore, uh, but there are some fancier restaurants that require men to wear a sport coat or a blazer in order to get in. And they're very, very clear on this. That, that's often the, the only um, tip you get on dress code at these restaurants is that men must wear a sport coat or blazer. And outside of the sport coat requirement, they don't give a lot of direction. Uh, what type of pants you should wear, what type of shirt you should wear, what color the sport coat should be. They don't tell you that. There's freedom in these secondary uh, items of clothing according to the restaurant, but what is essential to get in is that you have on your sport coat. Another example. Uh, growing up, we would sometimes go to the public swimming pool in our area, and I always noticed there were, there were very clear signs, multiple signs around the pool saying that you cannot swim in jean shorts. No swimming in jean shorts, all over the place. I don't know if it was just because jean shorts were so wildly popular at this time uh, that people would want to go swimming in them. I'm not sure the, the rationale behind the rule, but, but the authorities wanted to make it crystal clear that you cannot get in this water if you're wearing jorts. And they don't give a lot of direction outside of that as to what your swimsuit, swimsuit should look like. Um, there was some freedom there, but what was essential... If you're going to get in that pool, you will not be wearing jean shorts. They were clear on the essentials. The Apostles' Creed tells us what is essential to believe about the Bible. And we're going to take one phrase from the Creed each week and look at a passage of Scripture that expounds that phrase. This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 8. Psalm 8. You can find that in your bulletin or in a Bible if you have one. I'll read it in its entirety, starting in verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. And we ask you to do that just now, that 
by your Holy Spirit, we would know more of you. Open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts in ways that maybe you haven't before. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so the opening phrase of the Apostles' Creed is, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Uh, Psalm 8 celebrates this creator and his creation. So two headings I want to think about Psalm 8 this morning. I want to look at the creator first, and then the pinnacle of his creation secondly. So the creator and the pinnacle of creation. First, the creator. So the Psalms function like a hymn book uh, for God's people, or a song book for God's people. King David, who was a prominent king in the Old Testament, uh, wrote this one. And it's written to be sung together by the people as they gather corporately. So in so doing, there would be a few things that would jump out about God that would begin to form their beliefs about him as they sang this song of Psalm 8. And the first would be this, uh, that God is glorious. He's glorious. God the Creator is glorious. This psalm, you may have noticed it, it's bookended with the same words in verses 1 and verse 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Verse 1 continues, you've set your glory above the heavens. Um, This reference to uh, the name of God, it's referring to all of who he is, his character, God himself. And David is singing that God is majestic in all the earth. That there's not one part of this amazing creation that we live in that does not sing and celebrate the majesty of God. And and David, you can see he's captivated with the glorious work of the creator. Verse 3, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place. Uh, Scripture is very earthy. Uh, So much so that sometimes we just sort of gloss over it and don't realize that. Psalm 1 uses a tree as a guiding metaphor. There have actually been just brilliant studies done tracing the theme of trees in the Bible. Uh, Why? God created all of it. And it's all amazing. All of his creation celebrates his glory and his majesty. Just as an, an, an example, Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Listen to this, verse 3 of Psalm 148. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens. You waters above the heavens. Mountains and all hills. Fruit trees and all cedars. Beasts and all livestock. Creeping things and flying birds. Kings of the earth and all peoples. Princes and all rulers of the earth. Young men and maidens together. Old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord. That's Psalm 148. I wonder if you've had that experience where um, you're outside somewhere, maybe at the beach, maybe in the mountains, maybe it's a beautifully dense forest or like an open landscape like the desert, and you have just been struck with the beauty of it. You just can't help but sense the glory and the majesty of God. I'll never forget uh, sitting with Aaron on our first wedding anniversary, watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico and uh, it was just like blazing orange and red that sort of fell into the deep blue dark ocean and there was this like perfect breeze coming off the ocean as we sat there um i remember uh, when i went with my dad and hiked up longs peak in colorado uh, there's a, a lake called Chasm Lake, which is about the halfway point up this mountain. And we got to the Chasm Lake right at sunrise. And we watched the sun come up and hit this rock face of Long's Peak. And it, it was as though 
um, all of the Rocky Mountains around us were sort of waking up and coming alive. Just unforgettable. I'm sure you have experiences like that. Why do we have these experiences? We have them because God is glorious. His majesty is everywhere. In our busyness, though, we often miss it. Um, Think about the aroma of the first cup of coffee early in the morning. Uh, Or the cool fall breeze, that first fall breeze that that breaks the heat of summer. Uh, The warm spring sun that, that promises life and hope after a long winter. God is so glorious. And we were made to enter into that song of creation and glorify God and enjoy Him because His glory is actually our greatest satisfaction. Enjoying God, appreciating, meditating on His beauty and majesty. It's what we were made for. But but our sin, our rebellion against God, it enters the picture and it takes away and it directs this love of glory and it turns it actually inward on ourselves or to other created things rather than keeping it focused on God. Um, instead of entering into the, the song of creation and singing for God's glory, we instead end up living for our own glory. We can become so fixated and dialed into things like our own comfort in life. Almost without even realizing it, we, we can look up and, and realize that every waking moment of our lives is, is all about making life better and easier and more comfortable for me. And then maybe secondarily to our families. It's about our dreams and our plans and our lives, our goals. And those things usually involve more money for us and more control for us and better circumstances for us that are going to result in the the best, most predictable and comfortable life that we can build for ourselves and for those after us. Of course, that's not all bad, right? There's good in planning and creating order and blessing. Um, But oh, how quickly our eyes lose, lose focus of God And his glory and instead get locked into pursuing our own glory. And when that happens, when we start living for our own glory or the glory of created things, it suddenly feels like we're on a treadmill and we're just not going anywhere. Because we quickly realize that the stuff of this world is great. But if that's it, it's not great enough. And if you've had the opportunity to taste the great things of this world, you've realized it. It's just not great enough. Why? We were made to delight in God. To be satisfied in Him and His glory. God is the creator and He's glorious. And this almost goes without saying, but this passage also tells us that this creator is creative. Have you ever thought about this? That God is creative. That He's an artist. He's the artist. Um, David is singing about that in this psalm when he mentions uh, the heavens or skies and the moon and the stars that God put into place. Um, Think about the creativity it takes to envision a sky out of nothing. Um, To have flaming balls of fire hang in that sky which form these visible patterns light years away. Night after night. Uh, I listened to an interview this week with the comedian Jerry Seinfeld. And in this interview, it was all about Seinfeld's process um, in writing his stand-up routines throughout the course of his career. I believe he's 60, he was 66, I think, at the time of this interview. So he was reflecting back on like four decades of stand-up comedy. And, and Seinfeld was really clear on one thing throughout this interview. He said, it is so hard to be creative and write original content 
day after day and week after week. He just said writing is brutal. Creativity is brutal. It's excruciating. He just goes on and on about it. His daughter, I guess, is an aspiring writer. And the interviewer asked him, you know, what do you, what do you tell your daughter in terms of advice uh, for her writing career? He just said, um, basically, to take out your, her notebook every day and to set the timer for one hour and spend one hour of writing. And that's it. Uh, you're not going to be able to spend all day being creative. We just can't function that way. Creativity is so difficult that if you can get one solid hour of creativity in your journal every day, you're doing great. And if you work in a creative field um, or are interested in creative things, then you, you know this to be the case, right? Sometimes creativity feels just impossibly challenging. I'll never forget when I was applying to college, part of the application process, they said, all right, take this eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and make something creative with it. Those are the explicit instructions. And you want to know a great way to zap all creativity is by telling someone to be creative. It's like, I, I, don't, I don't know, a paper airplane? I don't, I've, got, I've got no idea. Um, so much of our creativity is based on the creativity of others who have gone before us. Um, painters hone their creativity as they are inspired by painters who've gone before them. Um, songwriters are inspired in their creativity by other songwriters who've gone before them. Uh, nobody went before the Lord in his creativity. He's not basing his ideas for the stars and the moon and the sun on some other thing that sort of sparked an idea in him. He created that out of nothing. He just thought it up. He's the creator. He's the first one to create. And when we confess these opening words of the creed, we're saying together as a community that I believe in this God, our Lord, the majestic one who is glorious and creative. And Psalm 8, in celebrating the creator, actually zeroes in it, celebrates the pinnacle of his creation. So let's talk about that, the pinnacle of God's creation. What is the pinnacle of his creation? Look at verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Uh, humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation. We're a little lower than the heavenly beings, likely referring to angels here. We're crowned with glory and honor. Uh, what can we learn about ourselves in, verse, uh, in Psalm 8? In these few verses, the first thing is this, uh, that we're like our Father. We are like our Father. So King David is picking up on a theme that has been in the Bible since the very beginning chapter. Uh, Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. We're made in God's image. We're like our Father. I'll never forget when we found out that we were expecting our first child and we found out uh, that it was, we were expecting a girl, and we didn't have any kids at the time, and so this is, you know, first, you know, time in parenthood, whatever, and I, I, had, I had an actual dream, which was probably a bit more of a nightmare, uh, that I, I was envisioning um, my daughter being born as an exact replica as, of me as a grown man. The only difference was she had long hair, and it was this, like, terrifying image. I was like, God, please, no. Um, Thankfully, that's not how any of my children ended up. They all take after their mother's likeness. Uh, but children look like their parents. I remember seeing an old picture of my dad on his high school track team running around the track. 
and I looked at his running form, uh, the way that he held his arms and his shoulders and bent his knee on his kick, and it is exactly how I run. Children are like their parents. This is true of us and God. We were made in God's image. We're made to image our Father, to be like Him. And as His image bears, our passage says that God is mindful of us. And He cares for us. Do you know that the God is mindful of you? That He really cares for you? Um, verse 5 says, we've been crowned with glory and honor. Uh, God made you like Himself. He made you to bear His image. Um, God takes thought of you. God actually thinks about you. God cares for you. What happens in your life is not random or chaotic or just pure chance. God cares for you. God has crowned you with glory and honor. Uh, You matter. You have great dignity. Um, And we desperately need to hear this because it's really easy to hate ourselves. Um... We hate that we're not smarter than we are. We hate certain things about our personality. Uh, we hate certain things about our bodies. We just would get, give anything to change them. Uh, we, we just sometimes hate ourselves in general where we just don't feel worthy or, or good at anything. We just like we can never get it right. And, and, if, and if that resonates, if that's the internal message that you've been telling yourself over and over again throughout just multiple times in different ways throughout the day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, that, that you're worthless. That message is going to be so deeply ingrained in how you think of yourself and not that easy to break through. But God wants this word to break through to you that he does not feel that way about you. He made you in his image. Just the way you are, on purpose. He's mindful of you. He cares for you. He's crowned you with glory and honor. You matter and you have unbelievable uniqueness and dignity. We're like our Father. Another thing we see is that we've been given a job. We've been given a job. Look at verses 6 through 8. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You, uh, you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Uh, so our job is to have dominion over the rest of creation. And again, this is right in line with God's plan for humanity from the very beginning. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. What does it mean to have dominion over creation if that's our job? Um, Great resource, that I recommend to you is the ESV Study Bible. It's just a study Bible with notes at the bottom. Really, really helpful. I use it all the time. There's a, I'm just going to quote it. There's a great quote. ESV Study Bible on Genesis 1 that talks about what does that mean to have dominion over creation? They say this. Here, the idea is that the man and woman are to make the earth's resources beneficial for themselves, which implies that they would investigate and develop the earth's resources to make them useful for human beings generally. This command provides a foundation for wise scientific and technological development. 
Um, When it comes to dominion, think stewardship uh, and cultivation for the glory of God and for the good of others. Uh, It's not exploitation, it's not destruction, uh, but stewardship and cultivation. Um, So even as we confess that we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, we are quickly reminded of the job that we have been given by this maker uh, to do his work, to be about the family business, of stewarding his good creation, of cultivating it, um, of being creative with it as our father is creative. And we do this in ways that honor him and that are good for others. Um, Think about it as having a big box of Legos. Legos are amazing. They're by far my favorite toy, continue to be, have been for years. You can create amazing things with Legos. Um, Some of the all-time favorites in our house, we have perfected the Lego food truck where you use Legos and you build the food truck of your liking. We've also done a lot of Lego towers where you build them as thin as possible, straight up as high as possible, almost to the ceiling until it just tips over. You just keep doing it over and over again. Uh, I looked at the Lego website and the the three largest Lego sets um, are the following. The first is the Lego Art World Map. It's over 11,000 pieces and it actually creates this beautiful map of the world out of Legos that you can frame and hang on your wall. It's amazing, 11,000 pieces. Second to that is the Lego Eiffel Tower, uh, over 10,000 pieces. It's the tallest Lego structure that they sell. It's about five feet tall. And then third is the Lego Titanic, um, channeling Leonardo DiCaprio, Lego Titanic. Over 9,000 pieces, it's a one to 200 scale model exactly of the Titanic ship. Um, You can make amazing things with Legos. Um, Just get the pieces out, dream, create. God has given us the ability and the job of stewarding and cultivating his creation to make really amazing things in our world. And when we do this, we're actually honoring our father and our maker by doing what he does, by being creative. Um, This should be incredibly validating and inspiring in how we think about our schoolwork, um, how we think about our specific jobs, maybe our creative hobbies, uh, how we invest in and care for our neighborhoods and communities, how we parent children. Um, We've been given these amazing building blocks and have been set free to steward and to cultivate them into amazing things for the glory of God and the good of others. God is the creator, and we're the pinnacle of his creation, made like our father and given a job to do by our father. And this is still true, and it's still our calling today, but we feel the frustration of our attempts at this because of our sin and our rebellion against God. Sin has messed all of this up. Verse 2 of our passage, it speaks about foes and enemies and avengers. Hinting that evil is present in our world. Our sin has corrupted God's good creation and it causes abuse of his good creation rather than us being stewards of his good creation. But God the Father Almighty did something about our sin and rebellion. Verse 2 says that strength comes from the mouth of babies and infants in the face of these foes. This is highlighting this pattern of God using weak things in the world to overcome the strong. God's ways are vastly different from ours And we see this in how he sent Jesus, his son, to come and deal with our sin and rebellion and all evil in the world. Jesus did not come as a military commander. He did not come to uh, crush political powers to take over 
Uh, Jesus came as a baby in poverty and in humility. And he lived a misunderstood and persecuted life that ended with death on a cross. And in doing so, Jesus came and showed us what it means to be a perfect human. Um, In Hebrews chapter 2, the writer actually applies these words, this psalm, Psalm 8, to Jesus himself. Hebrews chapter 2. Listen to how the, the writer applies this to Jesus. He says, it has been testified somewhere, Psalm 8, it has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. It's Hebrews 2, 6-9. through 9. Jesus came as the perfect man, perfectly fulfilled God's law, never sinned, and he went to the cross to pay for our sin, to taste death for us. The question behind our confession that we believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth is this. How can I know this God? How can I be in relationship with this God? And the answer is through Jesus Christ. By entrusting yourself to him, by surrendering in faith to Jesus. And he offers himself to you this morning. Won't you receive him by faith? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for being the creator that you are. Thank you for your glory. You're so glorious. Thank you for your unfathomable originality and creativity. Thank you for making us in your image. For making us like you. Just the way we are. You made us this way on purpose. God, thank you for giving us a job to do, to to have dominion, to subdue, to cultivate, to steward your creation. Give us wisdom. Guide us by your spirit as we learn what that means in our specific lives. Thank you for the good news that Jesus came to right all the wrongs, to redeem us of our sin. Would you remind us of that afresh this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.